Good morning, Church Central West. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, and I come bringing lots and lots of greetings from your friends at Church Central South. I mean, for me, um, having been around at the church for a little bit of time, you know, uh, and also being on the, the preaching team, I, I even when we moved to different churches, Church Central South and Church Central West, I'd have had the, the pleasure of coming to visit you guys regularly, like once a month or so, uh, to be able to speak to you on Sunday mornings. And so we got to see you uh, pretty regularly, you know, and obviously that has not been the case uh, over the last kind of 15 months or so. Uh, and it's been a been a pleasure to bump into some of you around walking in the park or dropping Isaiah off at Emerge, although I know I was in a rush on a Friday night. Um, it's also been great to hook up with some of you on, on Zoom as well every now and again. But it's not been the same, has it? And I'm missing your church um, and missing you guys. And I want you to know that I personally am praying for you. And I also want you to know that Church Central South is standing with you and praying with you for you at this challenging and difficult time. I know it's light's kind of at the end of the tunnel now, but it's there's still challenges, there's still difficulties that we're all facing. And I really hope I can bring something today uh, to strengthen you and to encourage you and to increase your trust in Jesus. I think that's the, the best I can hope for and, and offer you at the moment. And if I can do that, I'll be really happy. And uh, just so you know, if you're not part of Church Central West and you're listening uh, in, uh, this is for you too. I'm really trusting and praying that, that God himself, your creator, uh, will speak to you today. And again, I think if that happens, I think I'll be I'll be pleased because that's a wonderful, wonderful privilege to even be able to say those words. Well, today we're going to be uh, looking at Psalm 91 together, continuing your your series on the Psalms. And as we do with any passage in the Bible, when we when we go through it, we're going to delve deep into the passage and we're going to think about it. We're going to ask questions of the passage. like What does it mean? How do we apply it? All of that stuff. But first of all, I just want us to soak this psalm in. As with any of the psalms, I hope you've noticed this as, we've, as you've gone along this series. These are not academic papers that are written in the psalms. They're songs. And so the lyrics should be read as songs or even like poems, really. And I'd like us to respond initially, at least, as it was written, to, as it is as a, as a poem or a song. Because poems and songs, the thing about them is they speak to our hearts first and to our minds second. And so in a moment, Fiona is going to read through the psalm, Psalm 91. And I want to simply, you to simply let the powerful images in this psalm kind of hit you. I want you to tap into the feeling of the poet, of the psalmist here, uh, and the ones that the psalmist is intending to stir up in you. And after she reads it, I'm just going to leave a space for a minute or so for you to reflect on the psalm quietly. And just like I said, just soak it in, really. So if you're up for that, before Fiona reads, I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you in all that. This isn't just an intellectual exercise. This isn't a, even just a literary exercise. We want to engage with God. And so I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak deeply to your spirit and not just give you food for thought today, but help you think, speak and live to give more and more glory to God. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to leave you a space to pray and then Fiona will read. OK, Lord Jesus. Lord, embed your word in our hearts. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your law, O oh God, for every one of us. The 
Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thus I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armour and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honour them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Wow, what a psalm. Well, I think it will be helpful for you, uh, if you can, to have the psalm open in front of you uh, for the next few minutes. Because I'm just going to jump around in it a little bit and look at some of uh, this stuff as we look for, for this psalm to impact us. Well, I'm sure as we summarise, as you will have noticed, what's this psalm about? What is it? It's a psalm about God's protection. And it says sort of the same thing over and over again in different ways. And that is this. If you trust in God... He will protect you. If you trust in God, he will protect you. And he says it with such wonderful imagery. Let's soak in this this imagery. What does God's protection look like? Well, there's all sorts of words here, aren't there? There's shelter, there's shadow, there's refuge, place of safety, armour, protection. My favourite image is this image you get in, a, in verse 4, which portrays God as this bird. And we rest under the shadow of his wing, covered by his feathers. It speaks of protection, but also it speaks of care and tenderness towards us. So God protects us. But what does he protect us from? Again, lots of words given to us in this psalm from traps, from diseases, from terrors, from arrows, from disasters, from evils, from plagues. And when does he protect us? Well, he protects us in the day and in the night, in the light and in the darkness, as we see in verses five and six. 
What's the point of all this? Well, surely the point is this. The poet is layering images upon images to tell us that God's protection is complete and it's total. We can be confident that God will protect us from anything at any time in any way necessary if we put our trust in him. Now, I hope that's a reassurance and a comfort for your soul if you already put your trust in God through Jesus. And you know what, if, if you can't say with the psalmist that the God of the Bible is your God and you trust in him, as this psalmist says in verse two, if you can't say that, I really hope that it'll spur you on to finding more out about this God, to keep engaging with Church Central West, uh, to ultimately to know what it is to make the most high your shelter and your home. Now, with all that said, though, and with our spirits and our hearts kind of pumped up with all this encouragement. Um, Jesus did encourage us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, yes, but also with all our minds. And therefore we do need to ask some questions here. And there, there might be some obvious ones that you're thinking of already. The big one for me is this. Yes, this all sounds lovely, but is it actually true? I mean, all this talk uh, in the psalm of disease and plague. This seems to be very, very relevant to our experience over the last year and a bit, doesn't it? I know that you as a community in Church Central West, I, I know that you would know that it has not been the case that COVID has struck those outside of the church community, but you guys are all completely immune. I, I know you know that. That evil has touched you. That plague has come near you and other plagues and sicknesses too. You know what? I'm so thankful that God has spared the lives of those of you who've had coronavirus and some of you suffered with it greatly. But you don't need me to tell you that it's left its mark on a number of you and we are still praying for healing and full restoration for you. If you're listening and that's you, we are praying for you. We're praying for you at Church Central South. I'm praying for you. And I know the church family in Church Central West is praying for you. And of course, that's just one example of the arrows or disasters uh, that we might face in this world. And we do face them, whether we're Christians or not. And so the question must be, however reassuring this psalm sounds, can we trust God to protect us? And if so, what kind of protection can we trust him for? I just want to make three observations before we close that hopefully will help us to answer those sort of questions. And my first one is this, that the psalmist is talking about protection in this life. It, it would be very easy uh, in the light of the evidence around us that I've just mentioned, to make all of the promises in this psalm spiritual. They're all referring to what will happen after we die or when Jesus returns, or they're all talking about protection of our faith or our hope or our spirits or, or something like that. But they don't really have anything to say about the actual threats in this life. Sickness, personal threats from people who want to harm us or other calamities that that may well come our way. Now, listen, I, I, as I'm going to say in a, in a few minutes, I, I think the foundation of our trust in God is in some of those spiritual realities. I really think that is the case. But I cannot believe that the psalmist would write like this and just be talking about those things. No, the psalmist is clearly talking about an expectation of real protection in the real world from real threats that affect our real bodies. 
And how do we put all this together then? Well, I think the most important thing here, and we've got to remember this, particularly in the Psalms and other parts of the Bible, is the genre is very important. The type of writing this is. Remember, this is a song. This is like a poem. And in all, in all poems and songs, there are poetic devices that are used to make a point. Think back to your English uh, GCSE. For some of you like me, it would be a long time ago. But there's a word that I learned in my English GCSE, uh, which was one of these devices, and it was hyperbole. A lovely word, rolls off the tongue, hyperbole. Uh, now, if you can't remember back that far, or if you didn't study this, um, it means overstatement or a poetic exaggeration, I suppose. And I think that's what's going on here to a degree. I mean, you obviously have to think of other songs, uh, other songs outside of the Bible. We get this all the time. Uh, I would walk 500 miles. <laughs> you know that song? Well, apparently the proclaimers would then walk 500 more to be the man, to fall down at your door, I think it said. Again, it's, it's an exaggeration. It's poetic hyperbole. Or the classic lyric, your lips look like crispy bacon. You know that one? I imagine that one passed a few of you by. I know at least there, there is one family in Church Central West who are Lady Leisure fans, <laughs> who, who I'm referring to there. I don't think Lady Leisure in that song, Birmingham's finest rap export, um, I don't think she meant that actually the person's lips looked exactly like bacon that had been cooked for too long. <laughs> she meant the, the lips were slightly dry or chapped or something like that. Again, it's, it's overstatement, it's hyperbole. And we see the same thing going on here. These evils will not touch you. No plague will come near your home. The psalmist is overstating his point for poetic effect. Listen, the writer of this passage was not stupid. They were not blind. If we take this psalmist completely literally here, you would have to conclude that no Christian would ever die, ever. Because we know, don't we, tragically, that particular evil will come to us all. Doesn't make it easy to deal with. But that's the reality of living in the world we live in. Now, the psalmist is not saying that we should walk through life like Superman, expecting bullets to bounce off us. Now, what he's saying, though, is this. His point surely is this, that we should be confident of God's protection in this life. That God does look after his people and he does protect us in the here and now. I mean, this makes complete sense when we tie it together with other truths we know in the Bible. Because let's face it, God's our father. We believe that as Christians, don't we? God's our father. And he's a good father. And he's a powerful father. We should live confidently that as God's children... Those who rest in the shadow of the Most High, we're God's children. Well, well, he gives good gifts to his children. Jesus tells us that, doesn't he? Now, yes, sometimes those good gifts involve struggles that build our characters and teach us important things like patience and perseverance and re resilience as he kind of lifts his protection for a season or in certain situations. And we've all known times when that happens. Maybe you're going through a time like that at this particular time. But you know what? Even though that happens, surely that's not God's default position for us, is it? I mean, let me ask you, what kind of father only gives out those kind of gifts to their children? Yes, all fathers, all parents, good parents uh, have to help their children go through difficult times. But that's not the only gift they give. I mean, sh surely that's not the, the regular gift they give. Fathers love to show kindness to their children, don't they? Well, they should do anyway. 
And our default position should be to expect that kindness from our Heavenly Father, to expect his blessing and his protection and his refuge. And when we experience suffering, we must battle as as those who follow Jesus to, to not let those experiences twist our view of God. Listen, we we might not know the reason why God lifts his protection at those times. We might not know why he doesn't answer those prayers. But we certainly should keep coming to him as our loving, mighty father and keep asking him for his rescue and deliverance. He never gets tired of those uh, requests because that's who he is. The psalmist's main point in this psalm is surely that for all the questions that we may have, It makes a difference right now in the real struggles of this life to rest in the shelter of the Most High. However, while this is true, there is surely something deeper going on here as well, isn't there? And the second thing I want to say is the psalm is pointing towards a deeper sort of protection. Now, yes, the the psalmist may have been talking, as I've said, with a degree of overstatement and exaggeration about the measure of protection we should expect to receive from God in the struggles of this life. We've done that bit. However, in a deeper sense, his assurances should be taken very literally indeed, even though actually the psalmist may not have realised at the time of writing the full extent of that. You see, the writer of this psalm, alongside all the other Old Testament writers, lived before the time of Jesus. And we've got to understand that before Jesus came in the Old Testament, there was a certain degree of fog around some things that Jesus cleared up substantially. For these writers, that they would have been unclear on, on some elements of reality, particular spiritual realities, and very, very, very importantly, about what happens after we die. There's a kind of fog in the Old Testament about uh, those sort of questions. But then Jesus comes, and in the coming of Jesus, there's this huge flash of revelation. Jesus made clear in his teachings that there were spiritual realities at work in the world and they they can keep us trapped. They keep us trapped in these chains that look unbreakable, these chains of sin and these chains of death. And we're under the power. We're slaves to sin. However, through Jesus' perfect life, his death and his explosive resurrection, He defeated those powers and he paved the way for us to walk into this forever life, a quality of life, life to the fullest, abundant life, but also a quantity of life, a life that goes on after we die forever. And what's more, according to Jesus, there will be a day when he will return as the undisputed king of all things. And on that day, evil will finally be beaten and good will triumph, good will win. Just look back at verse eight. The psalmist says, just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. You might say, well, wait a minute. My eyes are wide open and I can't see how the wicked get punished. It looks like people live wickedly and just completely get away with it. But, you know, the psalmist, although probably didn't realise it, was reaching towards the deeper reality that we see fulfilled in Jesus, that in the end, good will triumph over evil and justice will be done because God is good, God is just, and God will bring all things to judgment. The hope that Jesus gives us is a personal hope of abundant life forever. It's personal, but it's also a much more far-reaching hope. It's a cosmic hope. It's the hope that evil, sickness, disaster, these things won't have the last word. Instead, 
justice, peace, mercy, kindness, goodness. Those things are going to triumph and endure. That's not just in Disney. No, that's brought into the fabric of reality through Jesus. So, yes, in a sense, the, the evil and illness and suffering of this life can come near us in this life. Even though we're under God's protection, sometimes it even looks like those things win. But in another sense, a deeper sense, in a, in a way, a more real sense, for those who hold on to the hope of Jesus and rest in the shadow of the Almighty, none of those things can touch us. They can't rob our joy. They can't steal our inheritance. That's the rock-solid protection we can know as Christians. There's no hyperbole here. There's no exaggeration. There's no maybe. No, that's a cast-iron assurance. So how should this affect how we live then? One final observation from this psalm as we close. God's protection is a protection that gets us moving. We looked at different dimensions uh, of the protection that the psalmist says that God gives to us. But we, there's one thing we haven't looked at. I want to think, think back to the psalm uh, again. Um, we, we know what kind of protection God gives, what it's from. But what about our place in all this? Where are we as we're being protected? Well, at the start of the psalm, it seemed like we were kind of hiding away. It was almost like a bunker-like mentality. We're in God's shelter, in his shadow, in his refuge, under his wings. But it's interesting as you go through the psalm, I don't know if you notice this, but we start moving. So in verse 11, it says this, For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Look, now we're going somewhere. It's a different thing. Verse 12, They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. It's a change. We're no longer in a fortress. We're now on a stony path. And God's protection now means that, that we won't stumble and we won't fall. We'll keep moving forward. And what happens on that path? Well, the psalmist goes on. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. At the beginning of the psalm, we're, we're sheltering in the fortress of the triumphant God. It's a brilliant, brilliant encouragement. But look where we are at the end. It's even more brilliant, I think. By the end, we're stepping out and we're winning our own victories alongside him. God's protection is just as active on the road as it is in the bunker. And on the road, we get to have our own adventures and share in God's triumph ourselves. So as we close, my encouragement to you at Church Central West would be this. Trust God. Rest in his shelter. Learn to dwell in his shadow. For some of you, that, that might mean wrestling with some really difficult questions. God, why did you remove your protection at that time when I needed it most? God, where were you on that occasion where it seemed like I was left completely alone? Now, to, to trust him isn't to avoid those questions. It's to ask them humbly before him in a way that brings you to a place where you can say, yeah, OK, I don't understand all that happened. I don't understand all that you do. I still trust you're a loving father, a strong tower and a place of safety. I'm still going to come to that place of safety. That's kind of like the first step. We trust God. And from that step, I think then I'd encourage you to move on to the second step, which is filled with that confidence that comes from that trust. Come out of the bunker and start stepping out in that protection. Go to the dark places with the light of Jesus.
welcome people into your lives that don't know God's love and show them that love. Go to those who've never heard the good news that there's a God in heaven who is good and who offers us his refuge and his protection and a life of adventure in which no evil can conquer us and we can share in his victory. My prayer is for you, for all of you listening as individual Christians, that you would take hold of that. But I think my greater prayer would be that for you as Church Central West, you will be a church that collectively owns that kind of confidence too. Not just in the bunker, but out there going and spreading that victory and that love to others around you. Go and crush some snakes, Church Central West. God is with you. Rest in his shadow. Enjoy his protection. Do not be afraid.